Welcome to the Sermon Series Podcast for the Midtown Fellowship Granny White Congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. There is nothing more central to the life of the follower of Jesus Christ than prayer. And it is our great hope and desire that we would be marked both individually and corporately as a people of prayer. To that end, this summer, we are teaching through the Lord's Prayer, which was Jesus' response when his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. We're so glad that you've been able to join us. If you are in the Nashville area and would like to join us in person, we worship together at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 3410 Granny White Pike in Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Gary Anderson. I am the pastor in residence here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. Uh, I want to welcome you to church on this Memorial Day weekend. We spent some time at staff meeting this week looking at the attendance numbers from last Memorial Day weekend, and apparently a lot of you all have lake houses. Well, actually, you don't, because you are here. So you didn't get the invite, just like I didn't get the invite, and uh, so we're here together. And I'm, this is not being facetious. I don't think there's any better place we could possibly be in this moment than in the house of the Lord, worshiping him. And now we're going to hear, uh, hopefully, from him as we turn to his word. Um, these statistics are a few years old, but they're like recent enough that they still are probably going to, they, they still are probably pretty accurate. Here in the United States, approximately 15% of uh, U.S. adults, that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 37 million people, suffer from kidney disease. Now, what is really amazing about that is 90% of those people do not know that they have it. Now, that's a, another sermon illustration for another day. We'll, we'll put that one in our back pockets and come back to it someday. Uh, but for a very small percentage of those people in this country who suffer from kidney disease, in 2016, it was about 125,000 people. Uh, that progresses to uh, such a point that it's known as end-stage renal disease. And the, the common term for that is kidney failure. Now, the function of the kidneys is to clean waste and toxins out of your blood. And if your kidneys do not work, waste and toxins build up such in your blood that eventually it will lead to death. And so if you have end-stage renal disease, if you have kidney failure, your hope and prayer, if you are a candidate for it, is that you will get a kidney transplant at some point. But in the meantime, there is something that you can do which will keep you alive. And that is called dialysis. If you have kidney failure, you can go get hooked up to a dialysis machine and that machine will perform the functions of your kidneys for you. It is not a good idea. It is not something that you'll do if your schedule permits. It is not something that if you have time, you'll get around to it. It is a matter of life and death. If you have kidney failure, you must plug into dialysis multiple times a week. Now, I know for most of us in this room, just based on the st statistics, uh, we are not suffering from that disease, uh, though we may know someone who we love. Or someone may be, have kidney disease, but uh, we also may know someone who we uh, have in our life, a friend, family member who is going through that. But whether you do or not, however close to home that hits, there is something that we all have in common with someone who is suffering from kidney failure. They have something that they cannot fix themselves. They need a, a power, catch it, a higher power, outside of themselves 
to do for them what their body can't do for itself. They can't just decide, I'm going to change my diet and exercise regularly and, you know, and it'll get better. It won't. They got to get plugged in and get power from another source to do what they can't do. And that's true for all of us. Because if it's not kidney disease, we are all spiritually sick. And we need, one of the, what is the big challenge of life? What is the great challenge of life? Can we just go meta in this moment? What is the great challenge of life? It's hard. Yeah, sin. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the theological answer. But we're, we're just keeping it, you know, vernacular. What's the great challenge of life? It's hard. Life is hard. There are powers outside of us acting on us that we are powerless against. And we are reminded of this in big and small ways every single day. Every single day we're reminded that life is hard and we don't have the ability to do what needs to be done to get it done right. The, the sale falls through. The contract gets broken. Someone, the, the, our car breaks down. We're going for a silly early morning run and we roll our ankle and tear a tendon and then have to have surgery and it's going to be a year before you're back to normal. These are all hypotheticals, okay? <laughs> uh, we get sick. Someone we love gets sick. We get hurt. Someone we love gets hurt and we, we couldn't stop it. People we love are taken away from us. Life is hard, and even though we want to believe, like beyond belief, that we are in control and we have power and we can manifest our own destinies, we can't. We are no match for life. And just like a patient who is needing dialysis to live, we need to plug into a higher power. And so what I am preaching about today and what we are preaching through this summer is the dialysis of the Christian life, and that is prayer. Our hope, our, our prayer, is that Midtown, as a movement, and Midtown Granny White specifically, because it's the place that we call home, would be marked as a people and as a congregation of prayer. Because, and I'm going to say something here that, that sounds a little bit melodramatic, but I mean it with all my heart. There is nothing more central to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ than prayer. There is nothing more important for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ, than prayer. And if you don't believe me, take some other guy's words for it who are much smarter than I. The great church reformer, Martin Luther, I'm studying for my church history exam for ordination right now. Martin Luther said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Uh, Tim Keller, who we just recently lost, incredible gift to the church, um, influenced me and my ministry from a distance um, and many, many, many others like me. The preaching, the preaching in this country is about to take a big hit with the loss of Tim Keller. Um, he says this in his magnificent book on prayer called Prayer. He says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. I'm just going to say that again. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray we have to. Then he goes on to say, there is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great 
as prayer. So if he's right, and if Martin Luther's right, and if pastor in residence Gary is right, and prayer is the most central, most important thing to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, can I get up in our business just a little bit this morning? Can I come into your living room and ask, how are we doing with that? My guess is, not great. And the reason I say that is not because I know you so well and I'm, I'm just throwing all kinds of shade on your prayer life. It's because I know myself so well and I'm terrible at it. Even as we have been preparing for this series, there has been a huge part of me that has been like, who am I to stand up in front of you all and talk about the importance of prayer and how it's the most important thing in life because I certainly don't treat it as such. And so this is not... Gary being like, you all need to do better, okay? Let's get our prayer lives together. This is Pastor Gary being like, we all need God's help to to lean into this incredible gift of prayer that for so many of us is an afterthought. Listen, if you have uh, kidney disease, if you have kidney failure, uh, like I said earlier, and, and you have to, like your life depends on dialysis, the chances are pretty good you're not going to skip it because a tea time opened up. You're not going to skip it because your favorite show just came on. I guess we were in the, the world of on demand, so you could choose when it comes on, but you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, you're not going to miss it because your favorite team has a game. Um, you're not going to miss it because you just stayed up late last night and it was just hard to get up and make it in time for the appointment this morning. Your life depends on it. And so you're going to make it happen. And actually, even as I'm saying that, uh, there's a couple who were in the first service who are doctors and spent a couple years working in the ER. And they were like, actually, you'd be amazed at how many people don't go to their dialysis <laughs> appointments. And I'm like, well, actually, that illustrates my point even further. Because it's literally their life depends on it. And they're like, uh, maybe I'll get around to it tomorrow. That is prayer for us. We are helpless against this life. And we need something. We need something outside of ourselves. We need a higher power. And we plug into that power when we pray. So that is why we are preaching this series this summer on the Lord's Prayer. I almost said on the Lord's Supper. He had a supper too, but this is about the Lord's Prayer. Because it's our great hope. It's, it's our great prayer. This is, Randy talked about this last week. This is not designed to be a do better series. And I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse. This is not designed to be you need to get your act together. Even though some of you right now are probably like, it kind of sounds like that's what you're saying to us in this moment. Our, our hope is that two years from now, five years from now, you don't look back on the summer of 2023 and, and remember, oh yeah, they preached something about the Lord's Prayer and I learned some things and it seemed all right. Here's our hope. Our, our hope is that two years, three years, five years from now, you look back on the summer of 2023 as a watershed moment in your life because you are like, a fire was lit in my soul for prayer and it has changed my life. That's what we're aiming at this summer. And that is not anything me or Randy or anyone else can do. That is only something that the Holy Spirit of God can do in our midst. And so we're going to plead with him that he would do it with us this summer. So let's get to the text. And it's a short one. So uh, it's not going to take us a lot of time. So we're preaching through the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's in the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is what I love. I love this. This is so cool about where this, the Lord's Prayer falls in the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It is the definitive sermon from Jesus in all of the Gospels about what it means to be his disciple. That is the summary of what it means to follow Jesus with your life. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
And right literally in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount is when he gives the Lord's Prayer. In Greek, there are 116 lines before the Lord's Prayer and 114 after. It's like, it's like he's physically and spatially saying this is the heart. This is the dead center of what it means to follow me with your life. It is the Lord's Prayer. And so he starts off by saying, Matthew 6, 9, he says, pray like this. And last week we looked at our Father in heaven. And this week we're going to look at the very next line, Matthew 6, 9b, hallowed be your name. I want to try and answer two questions in the time that we have remaining today about that instruction from Jesus when we pray to pray, hallowed be your name. And here's what they are. What does it mean? And why does Jesus tell us to pray that? What does it mean? And why does Jesus tell us to pray that? So first, what does it mean? Uh, Who has used the word hallowed in the last week? (laughs) Month, year. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows doesn't count, okay? So, <laughs> nice try. Um, not a single hand going up. This is not a word that we use a lot uh, in modern Western English. Uh, hallowed comes from a Greek word, which means uh, to consecrate or to sanctify, which I'm still hanging out in church words. I understand that. And all those words essentially mean to set apart, to be different, to be other to be different than everything else. It comes from the same root word in Greek, which means holy or to make holy. So when Jesus says, pray to God, hallowed be your name, he's saying, pray that your name would be sanctified, consecrated, set apart. Pray that your name would be holy. But here's the, here's the other half of that. So he says, hallowed be what? Be your name. And so here's the thing that we need to remember about names in the Bible. Names in the Bible, and frankly, this was the ancient Near East. This is not just like in the vacuum of the Bible. This is in the world in which the Bible was written. Names are more than titles, right? Names in the Bible and in the ancient Near East, they actually said something about the person, about, about their character or about their identity. They meant something. It wasn't just a title. So Abraham, the name Abraham means father of many. And that makes sense because his character, his identity was that he was the father of many. Jacob means to cheat. And that made sense because he was a cheater. Peter means the rock. He was the rock. Welcome to the rock. Anybody? (laughs) We'll, We'll take it. Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord is salvation. So Jesus means God is salvation. And that was kind of his character and identity Jesus was God who was salvation. Gary means intelligent and handsome. <laughs> it just is, names mean something. So, so I, was, um, I was at physical therapy the other day and I came in and my physical therapist was like, uh, I've been going for a few weeks now and he was like, we were talking about you the other day after you left. And I was like, oh boy, here, here we go. And he was like, we all decided uh, that you don't look like a Gary. And I was like, and, and just between us, I, it's not my favorite name. Like, I don't love the name Gary. Uh, we had a little debate with our first son about whether his name was going to be Gary, and the compromise was it's, it's his middle name. So I wasn't offended by that. Uh, and I was like, well, okay, what should it be? And he was like, we think you're a Chris. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. We'll take it. 
and stretched my ankle, did, did my exercises and went on my way. The very next day, we're at a little end of the year, end of the season soccer party for my daughter's soccer team. And I met a mom on the team who I hadn't met all year. And when she met me, this is, I'm not kidding, this is the very next day, she goes, I love the name Gary. She's like, every Gary I have ever known has been kind and honest and so easy to get along with. And she's like, I love the name Gary. And I was like, thank you very much. And I went back to physical therapy on Monday and I said, my name is Gary, 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 Gary. You call me Gary. See, when, when, when Jesus instructs us to pray, hallowed be your name, he is not telling us to pray, uh, God, let your name be recognized. Uh, don't let people say, oh my God, as a swear word. Don't let people use Jesus' name uh, in, in a bad way. He's not talking about his name. He's talking about his character. He's talking about his identity. He's saying, when you pray to God, ask God that he would be revealed. He is hallowed. He is God. That's not something that needs to change. But when Jesus instructs us to pray, hallowed be your name, do you remember what Moses says to God back in in the wilderness after he's brought the people out of Israel and God's telling him to do all this crazy stuff and he's not sure what to do and at one point he's just like what? Show me your glory. That is what praying hallowed be your name is. It is saying, make yourself known in my life and in this world as the God that you are. Let us see you for who you are. Hallowed be your name. Okay, what does it mean? We good? All right, let's move on to the next question, which is, why does Jesus instruct us to pray that? Why does, and it's not like later on down the list, it's the first thing after we address God our Father in heaven. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. And just as a side note, I don't think that means literally every time we pray, we have to say, hallowed be your name. This is a guide. I think sometimes it's appropriate. But the spirit of what it is asking, God, reveal yourself, show yourself, make yourself known as God in my life and in my world. That is, we're on board with that. So I think there's two reasons that Jesus constructs us, instructs us to pray this. The first is this. It changes our priorities. It changes our priorities. So if we are going to honestly and sincerely pray to God, hallowed be your name, that is going to change our priorities as we work our way through this life. And this is what I mean. Uh, Some of you who were with us in our last series in Genesis, tracking with me? Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, uh, just an amazing story with so many things going on. If you can remember back to that story or if you remember the sermon that was preached on it, do you remember what those people who were building that city and that tower, what their driving principle was, why they were doing it? Because they, they wanted to make a name for themselves. The Tower of Babel was a physical representation of the heart of man saying, hallowed be my name. But here comes Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Even though every single one of us, myself included, has something inside of us that drives us to to build our own kingdom, to build our own Tower of Babel, to make a name for ourselves, Jesus comes and says, the highest and first thing that you're to pray is that God's name would be hallowed. And here's the deal. We We can't build two kingdoms at the same time. We can't, like, is there a city, maybe L.A., is there another city in this country that is more captured by the, the heart of coming here to make a name for someone, for yourself? Like we live, in the, we live in the center, the heartbeat of the desire of man to make a name for themselves. And here comes Jesus saying, no, you, there, you can't build two kingdoms at the same time. 
And if you're going to honestly and sincerely pray, hallowed be your name, that is going to radically alter our priorities in the way that we go through virtually every aspect of our lives. Uh, Have you ever been in one of those cars that has two steering wheels? Two gas pedals, two brakes, two sets of blinker things? And I'm not talking about a bumper car. I'm not talking about your Tesla. We're happy for you. No, you never have. And there's not a Tesla like that either. Even Elon wouldn't do that. Why? Because it, it would make no sense. It's impossible. You can't have one car with four wheels, two axles, one chassis, and two drivers in it. You, th- there needs to be one driver in the car, otherwise disaster will ensue. You tracking with me? The same is true of our lives. We can't both be driving. We can't, God, we can't, we can't be in the driver's seat and God in the driver's seat at the same time. And so when we pray, when we come to God and we say, God, even though everything in me wants to hallow my name, I pray that your name would be hallowed. It sets our face towards him and away from the things that we're running after to build our own name. Uh, There was a Scottish pastor in the late 1800s and early 1900s. His name was P.T. Forsyth. Uh, He wrote a book called The Soul of Prayer. It's a little like 60, 70 page book. It's a amazing work on prayer. And one of the things that he says in that book that I love is he says, everybody everywhere is always praying. Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer, follower of Jesus, not follower of Jesus, everyone is praying. And let me just give you the, exactly the way that he says it. Uh, he says, every man's, we'll say every man or woman's, life is in some sense a continual state of prayer. If you are not praying toward God, you are praying towards something else. And I love this. You pray as your face is set toward Jerusalem or Babylon. We cannot pray, hallowed be your name, when we are building our own little kingdom of Babylon to hallow our own name. So part of why this is what Jesus calls us to pray is because it will reorder our priorities to set our face towards the kingdom that we are actually called to help build. Okay, so first... Well, it's actually like point 2B. Uh, It changes our priorities. No, that was point 2A. Sorry. Here's point 2B. The other reason I think Jesus calls us uh, to pray this way is because it will change us. It will change us. If we honestly and sincerely are praying to God, hallowed be your name, that is an invitation to God to begin messing with our lives. Because... If his name is going to be honored, consecrated, sanctified, set apart as holy, we are going to be the ones who do that. Do you remember back to Genesis? Remember when God made man and woman? In, like, in what way did he make them? Not from the dust of the earth, though that's how he did it. Like, in, what did they represent? So, yeah, like, we are his image bearers. Uh, Paul says in Romans 4 and Galatians 3, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. You are part of the covenant. You are in God's family. When you come to Christ, you are adopted into God's family and you are given a new name and that is son or daughter of God. And so if we are going to pray, God, hallowed be your name, we are going to have to play a part in hallowing his name here on earth, in our homes, in our schools, in our work, in our community, in our church, in our city, in our town, in our country. And we can't do that on our own. We need to be set apart for God to be seen as set apart. And that's something that only he can do, only his Holy Spirit can do. 
If we are to pray, hallowed be your name, that is an invitation to God for him to start messing with us. Uh, In the middle of the 19th century, 1850s, there was a businessman in New York City. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear. In the 1850s, New York City was, and and more than New York City, but there was a big recession. People were losing their jobs, tough economic times. Uh, City was depressed. He felt led to do something about it, but he's like, I'm just a business guy. Like, what, what, what do I know? What can I do? And he felt the Lord calling him to start a prayer meeting. So September 23rd, 1857, at the Nor- Old Dutch Church, or the North Dutch Church, forgive me, uh, in Lower Manhattan in the financial district, Wednesday, 12 to 1, he started a prayer meeting. Six people showed up. Uh, a month later, they moved it from weekly to daily. Monday through Friday, 12 to 1, prayer meeting at the church. Within six months, 10,000 people were taking their lunch breaks in New York City to pray. And it is estimated that two years later, over 1 million people came to know Jesus because of that prayer meeting that was started over this guy's lunch break in the 1850s. The, The city saw a revival, literally, because one person was like, all I know to do is to pray and I'm going to lean into it. Prayer is where God begins to change us. And so to pray, hallowed be your name, it's kind of a dangerous prayer because it is an invitation to God to say, come into my life and start messing around with it such that I represent you and your holiness in all the spheres of influence that you have called me to. Can we... Can, you, can we imagine what that would look like if, if we sincerely and honestly began to pray individually and as a community, hallowed be your name in my life? What would that do to us as individuals? What would it do for our marriages? What would it do for our dating life? What would it do for our parenting? What would it do for the lives of our children or our siblings or our parents? What would it do for our work? What would it do for our club or our gym or our school? What would it do for Midtown Granny White? If we leaned into praying together, God, hallowed be your name in my life in this place. What would it do for Green Hills? What would it do for 12 South? What would it do for Nashville? Uh, There was an elder at my old church who used to say this all the time, and so I've stolen it from him because I love it, and it is so true. We don't know what God would do, but we know what he is capable of doing. And here's the thing. I kind of want to find out. So, so here's where we're going to get super practical. Um, I do not want, Randy does not want, our staff does not want this series on prayer this summer to be just kind of another go to church on Sunday when I'm not at the lake house. If, if you have a lake house, I would love to come and see it sometime with you. I don't want it just to be like, those were some interesting sermons and, uh, you know, Randy drew some neat pictures and Gary told some moderately funny jokes. Um, we want like this to hit home. Like we want this to actually matter and something to actually change. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to hold a few prayer meetings this summer here at the church. You don't have to write these dates down. You can if you want. We'll start announcing them. But June 11th, July 16th, they're both Sundays. Uh, sometime probably late afternoon, probably five o'clock, we're going to open the doors to the church 
and we're going to have a prayer meeting here. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to I help frame this for all of us. Uh, we kill events at Midtown. And I'm new here, so I, don't really t- I can't take credit for that. But we can gather people in a really enjoyable, winsome, engaging way really well. Like, we all like each other, or we pretend to like each other when we're together. And we like being with each other. And we got, like, if we, if we put all of our marketing, I know that sounds crass for a church, but if we put all our marketing efforts behind these prayer meetings, and if we offer childcare, and if we get some snacks or some food, and if we get the worship band to blow out some worship before we pray, like, we could probably get a lot of people to show up for this. But that is not what we are going to do. We have plenty of awesome events that we do here at Midtown. And we do not want the heart of this to be that it's kind of come and see your friends and kids get to play together. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But we do not want this to be an event. We want this to be solely and only focused around crying out to God that his name would be hallowed in our lives and in our community. And so if you got kids that go to bed early, if you got other stuff going on, there is no guilt trip. There is no anything like that. If there are three of us here, We'll run with that. But it is our hope and prayer, it's my dream, in the coming months, that we would actually be able to raise up a prayer team and have a prayer ministry here at Midtown Fellowship Granny White. And part of the, the runway to that is having some prayer meetings this summer and just seeing who has, feels called, who feels led to lean into prayer. And look, you don't have to know how to do it. That is for anyone. Open to all, open to whoever, wherever, whatever. If you are like, I need prayer for myself. If you're like, I have someone in my family who needs prayer. If you're like, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for this community. If you're like, I want to learn how to pray. That is what those prayer meetings are going to be about. And we may do some guided prayer. We may not. We may just circle the chairs and let the spirit lead where the spirit needs, needs to lead. But we we want to be serious about being marked as a people of prayer. Uh, it changes everything. It is, it is the most important thing we can do. And it is, the as Tim Keller said, Martin Luther said, it is the key to everything when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just telling you right now, we can't imagine what God might do if we lean into prayer in a serious way. So I want to invite you to join uh, with us as we take some baby steps and then some bigger steps into uh, getting really serious about prayer here at Midtown Granny White. All right, let's, uh, let's take this home. I don't want to take it home with this. Uh, many of you will remember in, in several of the gospels, we get a description of the night before Jesus went to the cross. And that night before Jesus went to the cross, he had Passover with his disciples. He instituted uh, the Lord's Supper and then they left the upper room and they went where? to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus did what? This is the moment, this is not, again, this is not hyperbole. This is the, the moment of greatest stress, fear, anxiety, um, questioning, doubt, frustration, disappointment that any human ever in the history of the world has ever felt was Jesus that night before he was go, to go to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did he do in that moment? He plugged into the dialysis machine of life. He prayed. And do you remember what he prayed? God, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. Do you know what I think a paraphrase of not my will, but yours be done is? Hallowed be your name. Jesus said, you be God. You you do what only God can do. And if it takes me going to the cross to hallow your name, for you to be known in this world for the God that you are, 
then I will do it. And do you know uh, what the Apostle Paul says happened after Jesus the following day went to the cross, died for your sins and mine, paid the penalty that we could never pay? This is what Paul says in Philippians 2, starting in verse 8. He says of Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the deal. His name is already hallowed. He is already God. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not asking for anything to be that is not already the case. He is high. He is lifted up. There is no one above or beside him. He is completely holy. The train of his robe fills the temple with his glory. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are not saying, God, change what you are. We are saying, change who you are in my life. Hallowed be your name in my life. Hallowed be your name in my home and in my work and in my school and in every place that you have called me to have an influence. And be careful if you pray that because you can't imagine what God might do. Let's pray. God, we just take this moment to confess. Well, I confess that I hear stuff like this and then it's really easy to just go back to, uh, I think I can handle this on my own. God, there are so many days that I spend as a functional atheist, living as if you are not there and it's all up to me. And I pray, God, that, that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the invitation that you are giving us through this uh, incredible prayer that you give us. When your disciples said, teach us how to pray, this is what you answered them with. You are showing us what it looks like to plug into the, the higher power source and find the things and receive the things and get the things that we cannot give to ourselves. God, we pray that your name would be hallowed in our lives and in this place. And we ask that you would do a mighty work. Show this world who you are. And if you would choose to do so, do it through us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.